she could take multiple turns if there's an open mic. But at this point, if you have a question, please come to a microphone. Actually, this one is Paul, I'm the homeowner downtown. Can we have that mic on? I can talk loud. Yeah, we're good. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you. And uh, going to work, I'm, I'm passing by the GE lands, and I'm concerned about what your plans are in terms of dealing with those brown spaces or brown lands, you call them, I think. And uh, what about the remediation, and what are the plans to see housing built on both sides of the street there? Because that's a pretty grotty area of town, and it's going to be really weird when they find the, the toxins in there. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm, you're asking both candidates to answer? Yeah. Okay. Um, Diane, you can open with the uh, question about brownfields and the GE uh, site. Sure. Uh, oh, that was way loud. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, that is, that, thank you for your question. It's a good one. I hear about it a lot, and we certainly talk about it uh, at council, and it's, it's 26 acres, I think, of prime real estate in the heart of our community. Uh, we don't know the level to which the contamination extends, uh, and I, I hesitate to even imagine because I know it's a lot. Uh, I was at an opening for uh, uh, the health clinic for the GE workers on George Street the other day. Uh, Daryl was there as well. Uh, so we know that pe the workers in there had dealt with cancers and all this other stuff. So we can only imagine the rehabilitation. We need to put pressure on GE to clean it up. Municipally, it, it will be in the... Like it would, it would bankrupt the city to try to clean that up. It will be in the tens and tens of millions of dollars. So working with GE and senior levels of government to ensure that they follow through on their responsibility to their to the community. They've been an institution in this community for over 100 years. They need to make sure that they close that chapter in a good way. Thank you. Wait a minute. Well, the GE site uh, is a brownfield site, or is classified as a brownfield site. It is 80 acres of land in our community, and it's land that uh, at some point in time may become available for repurposing. At this point, GE is holding on to their properties. They do not sell any of their lands that they've uh, uh, decommissioned from an operational standpoint. They will lease them, and they will deal with uh, other businesses that are interested in repurposing their facilities. So that's something that we will look forward to working with them. There are part, small portions of their properties that are completely clean and that they can be uh, acquired for lease at this point, and they will be. In, we were in discussions with them when they first announced we're closing. They've agreed to speak to us first before they move forward with any other opportunities. Thank you very much. I'll direct the, the question to the mic at the back of the room, please. Sir, question. Uh, yeah, my, my question will have to do with um, public assets, public property. And obviously uh, the sale of uh, public assets is something that bothered a lot of people in this this community, PDI being the obvious example. And then some people are some people are afraid that there will be other public assets sold. So my question to both of you is, what is your position on the sale of Peterborough's public assets? Thank you. Um, Diane, would you like to open this one? Uh, I believe that public utilities should remain in public hands. I, I think we'll all recognize that there's considerably more uh, properties uh, that are public in the city of Peterborough than just the utilities. So if your question surrounds uh, the opportunity for business activities that are transacted through the city of Peterborough or through the divisions within the city of Peterborough, we will look at all of our assets and make sure that we're getting the best value for them long term. 
Uh, Roy, you were a proponent against the PDI sale. You continue to be that way. I'm a proponent for the PDI sale for all the right reasons. There's a good reason for that sale to be transacted. It's going to, it's going to pay us dividends uh, of immense quality and quantity going forward. Thank you very much to the candidates and for the questions. We'll direct the next question to the rear mic. Thank you, and thank you both for all of your responses so far tonight. I'm going to take it back to housing for a minute. Sorry for everybody's here for other things. Um, a recent uh, a recent federal study showed that about 25% of the cost of any new home is due to government taxation and fees. What can you see doing to make sure that we can reduce that percentage in the CP role and increase the affordability of the housing that we are building? Okay, so that's open to both candidates. And Mayor Bennett, you can open this one. We have uh, certain areas of the state of Peterborough now that have uh, some uh, programs that are available to reduce the overall cost and reduce the impact on the actual purchase. The 25% factor is not one that uh, you need to look at from a specific numbering standpoint. You need to be able to produce the results for what your market is looking for. So we have SIP programs in our downtown core which assist with development charges, which assist with tax relief for a number of years to encourage development. We will continue with that. I'm a proponent of moving that out to other areas of the city. It doesn't cost the taxpayer a nickel to do it, but it gives great value and great economic benefit along there. Thank you. Diane. Yes, uh, and thank you for the question. I think that, yeah, anything that we can do to try to lower those costs is very important. And some of the programs that we have in place, as Daryl mentioned, in other areas of the city can be expanded. Uh, we'd be open to looking at any any creative solutions that could help to bring those those types of costs down. We want to make sure that housing is affordable to everybody in our community, and we need to work on, on a variety of strategies to do that. Thank you. We'll stay with the rear mic. Next question, please. To Mr. Bennett again, um, perhaps you could be a little more specific with your answer. What I'm looking for particularly is who ensures that when the city is going through this process and they get value that exceeds the, the um, um, allotment of the money that they're looking to spend, there's somebody there who is supposed to be able to bring that to the attention of the committee to let them know how much of a good deal or how much value they're getting in the particular instance. Nobody, and you as the leader of the city, should be able to tell me who specifically reviews those to ensure that they are properly evaluated that the objects that are being purchased are at the value that they're stated, and that if the city is getting good value for their okay. expenditure. So, thank you very much. We will take the question from the front of the room. The mic is yours. Pull it down if you need to. Lots of uh, comments and questions tonight about uh, building new homes. How are we going to move forward in our city with the huge problem we have at the present time of homelessness. Is that directed at both candidates? Okay, we'll open with Diane Terrier. <coughs> yes, uh, homelessness, we are facing a crisis of housing and homelessness in our community. Uh, we know that our that our shelters and the warming room are, are full every night. The warming room has seen more people year over year using that facility. Uh, we have people uh, camping in parks. 
uh, we have a 1% vacancy rate. Uh, and so it is, it's nearly impossible to find uh, an apartment, particularly if you're on low income. Uh, the city, through the 10-year housing and homelessness plan, has been working towards the housing first model, which basically is you get people housed and then uh, you can help them deal with deal with other problems that they might be facing. Every year at budget, I've advocated for more money for the rent stability fund and the, uh, uh, sorry, yeah, the housing uh, housing stability fund and the rent supplement program. It's cheaper to keep people housed than it is to put them through the shelter system uh, because it costs a lot more to have them go through the shelter system and then also all the the uh, economics and the things that go on when kids get disrupted from schools and all of that. So we need to keep people housed and we need to, we need yeah. to prioritize it. Thank you very much. Certainly homelessness is a problem not just with Peterborough, but with every, uh, every city in this uh, province and every city in this country. And I think that's something that uh, the federal government has finally come to a recognition on. I think they've actually made some plans to enter into some long-term thinking towards that. We need a national housing strategy. We need it as quickly as we can get it to start to break down those barriers that prevent housing of affordability to people who are homeless and people who are in danger of being homeless. The difficulty with doing that on the backs of the city taxpayers is that we are not in the redistribution of wealth business. We get our revenues from our property tax sources, and that is a very limited resource when you're already looking at people who are sometimes just able to keep their own homes, and us putting pressure on them beyond that is not in keeping with good planning from a long-term standpoint. So a national housing strategy is what is needed. It's what we need to lobby harder for going forward. for uh, one or two questions, and then we'll get to the front. Please step up at the back. I'm sure. Uh, okay. I'm looking for some clarity, so perhaps you can both answer this question, although it's, it's mostly um, for Diane. Diane, I've noticed that your platform states that you plan to focus on road, road improvement in the city, beginning with Charlotte and Shimon Road. And uh, I, I guess I'm somewhat confused, too, because I see a lot of road improvement happening in our city constantly. There are pieces of roads that are constantly under construction and we see huge improvements on Lansdowne and all the rest of it. However, um, you did focus on Charlotte and Shimon. And it's my understanding though, especially from tonight, that these roads are actually already approved and in the design stage as we speak. So that would be the Can current... I interrupt and ask you what, to just yep. really state a question? So that's the current council. So my... Uh, I, I'm just trying to figure out here is are you focused on roads other than Charlotte and Shimong? Because in your platform you're talking Charlotte Shimong and that seems to be what's already occurring. So is that a new thing or is that something you're just Sure. I can speak to that. So we know that Charlotte Street has been talked about for a long time. It's been sort of in the plans for well over a decade. Uh, and Shimong, we know, is is a mess right now. And so in terms of, like, when we're talking about particularly with regards to Shimong and, you know, cut, the cut-through traffic that happens in and around there, having uh, easier solutions like turning restrictions to try to prevent cut-through traffic on residential roads is something that I'm talking about. Uh, but also, you know, like I said, Charlotte Street has been on the books for a very long time. We need to move forward with it ASAP. 
Uh, and certainly there are other roads that are in dire need of repair, and we need to get moving on those too, uh, and because all over the city infrastructure is falling apart and we need to properly invest in it. Thank you. And we will move to the front mic. Thank you very much. I think I do have an opportunity. Oh, sure. Yes, sorry. It was directed to Diane, but if you'd like to speak, most certainly. The lady who asked the question asked specifically about Charlotte Street and Chemong, and she was quite accurate. Those two roads are slated for redevelopment uh, at at various stages and various uh, methods. They have been uh, in need of that for a long period of time. We moved uh, in this last uh, first term of council to deal with the first term of council when I was there to deal with the Shimon Road side of it. It is in the design stage. We moved then in the second term of council to bring the Charlotte Street corridor into design stage. That's a massive project that goes from Park Street right to Water Street including the urban park that's attached to it as well. So it it has been overdue, it is slated, and it is in the budget, and it is funded. Thank you. Again, thanks for both coming out to answer these questions. Uh, so I live downtown. I get to talk to a lot of people who are visiting Peterborough who are looking around, and they come downtown to see Peterborough, and they see a lot of problems. They see a lot of closed buildings. They see a lot of dead eyes. And they see people who are having problems with opioids, with homelessness, with all kinds of mental health issues. And the avenue that the city has to deal with people who are in crisis seems to be the police. But the police, when I've contacted them the other night going for a walk, don't know how to handle the situations. They're in over their heads already trying to do the job of police. What is the city going to do to work with the police and other organizations in the city on your watch to improve that situation so that when people come to Peterborough to buy, they go, wow, this is a great place, not get out of here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Directed to both candidates. Uh, Mayor Bennett, would you like to open? If I may, it fits in rather well with the uh, announcement that I just made uh, yesterday. Uh, we talk directly about that problem in our community, and it's not just this community, it's many other communities are dealing with the same thing. We're going to take a very open-minded approach to bring all the right people together to resolve the issue of the difficulties we have in our downtown. A lot of it is drug-related. It's not all drug-related. We have mental health issues that are affecting people as well, but we have the resources to work with it. We have to bring them together in a more coordinated effort and a more focused effort to make the downtown core livable again and workable again, and we can do it, and I'm committed to do it. Thank you. So, uh, as I said in response to uh, what, when I heard uh, Daryl's plan yesterday, there is, doesn't seem to me to be much of a plan there other than talk to the police chief and start arresting everybody. And you can't arrest your way out of these problems. Uh, we know that being supports for people, methadone clinics are a flawed model. I want to see if we're, we're working with senior levels of government, the province and the feds need to step up to help fund a comprehensive detox center in our town. Otherwise, People have no wraparound services and they're not they're not getting off of drugs. Uh, I also committed in my policy uh, piece to continue with the foot patrols in the downtown and the One City Initiative, which is working with marginalized people and people that have barriers to traditional employment to help reduce stig- that stigmatization. Uh, and we need to certainly work with our DBA and our police. And I've had those relationships over the last few years and will continue to do that going forward. From the back of the room, and then we'll move up to the front. Thank you. Thank you. There's an obvious need for more subsidized housing in our community. There's obvious need for more affordable housing in our community. 
Um, and inclusionary zoning is often held up as a, as a tool that will cause that to happen. Inclusionary zoning ensures that in a development, um, some of the units are made are, are sold for below market value. So if inclusionary zoning is used as a tool, who is it that should be paying the difference between that market value and the subsidized amount that we're being asked to build? Thank you. We'll direct this one to Diane to lead off. Thank you, John. It's uh, a good question. Uh, we, we know that we need to have more uh, affordable and subsidized housing. Uh, currently, you know, it's often up to a developer whether or not they want to pursue that. We do have municipal incentives uh, for those developers that want to build affordable units, so we need to keep working with that. Uh, but like I said, we know that having people in safe and secure affordable housing is cheaper than dealing with the costs of having people being homeless and people going through the shelter system. And so we need to work out between the home builders and the city a way to figure out how to uh, have that program not fall on the burden of you guys, but also hopefully not fall on the burden of the taxpayers. So it'd be good to sit down and have a, a, a real discussion about that because I only have one minute right now. <laughs> Thank you. Daryl Bennett. The beach of the time you have those discussions, actually, and they're kind of interesting. The operational side of it is that uh, subsidized, subsidized housing. All right, settle down out there. Let the man speak. Subsidized housing is a concern for all of us from a number of fronts. The taxpayer in the city of Peterborough pays property taxes to the city of Peterborough to cover off the basic costs of operations. We have to be very cautious when we treat that on the balance side of it. We need to have our provincial government and our federal government step up and bring forward a workable plan, community by community, to meet the needs of those communities. Throwing money at it is not the way to resolve it from a local standpoint. That needs to come from upper levels of government when they have the ability to do it. Thank you. Thank you for your patience. Uh, during the four years that uh, Councillor Terry attended council meetings, she consistently voted against new residential development projects in the city of Peterborough. The only exception was the final city council vote during this election campaign, where she voted in favor of the Ashboro Village subdivision. The home building industry constructs, on average, 250 single-family houses per year, construction of 250 houses translates to 750 persons of direct employment locally, as well an additional... Excuse me, sir, can we get your question? It's coming. Okay. <laughs> we need to, we an need additional to 500 persons of uh, or person years of employment is created by constructing new homes through persons working... Last, 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 last I don't want to be lecturing, sir. We'll be happy to answer. Sure. Specific question is? As mayor, how will you address the following issues? Employment lost by the local home building industry, the obvious shortage of housing supply in the city of Peterborough, housing affordability. We will, we, first, we'll start with the first question because we are limited to one per person. So can you pick one out of that series that's the most important to you? And if we have time, we can answer the remaining. I'll be back. Okay, great. Deal with the first question. Sure. Can you restate it, please? Employment lost by the local home building industry. Okay. Diane? Thank you. So, on council, I've pressed for good developments that achieve good planning and are responsive to community concerns. And that's so when you're talking about development, you are only are talking about subdivisions. 
uh, because I have voted for housing developments that are achieving the goals that we need to achieve under the Places to Grow Act that are helping with our intensification and with our infill. And so your your yes. definition of yes. development is very different than mine. Yes. Uh, and so I have brought forward motions to try to resolve some of the concerns that I've heard from neighborhood residents when these when the subdivisions that you're talking about are being proposed. And so with the Ashboro example, uh, people were concerned about not enough public engagement about issues with traffic and with stormwater management. And so I put in a motion so that there will be a public meeting on that going forward because I strongly believe that the community members need to be consulted. And what I've heard is that they don't feel like they're being consulted until the 11th hour and decisions are already made and there's no opportunity for feedback or for bettering the process. Here's the bell for the Mayor Bennett, would you like to weigh in on the question on the floor? Certainly. I think the question was, uh, what are you going to do to address the uh, lost mm-hmm. employment by the industry when we don't uh, approve developments that come forward in the city of Peterborough? I'm correct. I have approved each and every development that comes forward, whether it's one house or whether it's a subdivision, is brought forward on merits. It's brought forward with proper planning practices. It's brought forward with a plan that's recommended by our staff to make sure that it has complied with all the regulatory provisions that are available to the builders, to the community, and to those that are directly and indirectly involved. We have made it very clear that we are open for business to the housing industry. We have approved, I have approved, each and every approvable subdivision and or application that's come forward, and I will continue to do that because it recognizes the value of that to our community long term. Thank you. Okay, moving forward. Sir, you've been up before. Welcome yeah. back. Thank you very much. That's a very specific answer. Uh, let's move to the front of the room. I do not believe we have time to wait for a national strategy. I believe we need to work with our people in Peterborough today. In our city, there is not enough geared to income, up to code, clean, appropriate, and safe housing for all. Our shelters are full. Our individuals are sleeping in the manger. Can I ask you what your question is? How will you improve provision of shelter services now while also taking action to eliminate homelessness now? They're sleeping in their graves. Okay. How will you address homelessness? Is it directed to? Is it directed to any? Uh, or both candidates. Okay. Who would like to open? Take your pick. Diane. I'm fine if you wish. Sure. Uh, and I agree with you. We've been hearing about a national housing strategy. We're the only GA country that doesn't have one. Uh, it's in the works. We know that governments don't always move that quickly. So, but you're right. We can't afford to wait. We have people on our streets now uh, that need help. And so I don't want to sort of pass the buck. We want the feds to step up and give us money because they need to and they've been talking about it and it's going to roll out conveniently with you know around election time next year um, but we need to be working on it now and so we like I've said the housing stability fund the rent supplement fund working with organizations like the warming room and those frontline services that are understaffed and underpaid and working frontline um, dealing with these issues we need to be building those relationships and asking them as well what are the best ways to help people to help get people off the street. There's some new affordable stuff that hopefully will be coming forward. Uh, I'd like to see more of what like what happened at Knox Street United Church. Those, that's the model that we need to be pursuing. Thank you. 
We have, uh, in the last eight years, added plus or minus 800 units to our housing stock from an affordability standpoint that's managed by Peterborough Housing Corporation that uh, hasn't put a dent in the waiting list in this community. There was 1,594 people on a waiting list when I was first elected in 2010. We've added plus or minus 800 units. There's now 1,600 people on a waiting list for housing. It is not a situation that is easily managed. It's not one that you can avoid, and we're not attempting to avoid it. We simply have to have upper-level government resources to assist with it. We cannot put that burden onto our taxpayer base in the city of Peterborough. It is not workable long-term. There is no short-term selection that we can say tonight. We will take care of all of the immediate needs of people. We have the resources in place that deal with people's needs on an individualized basis, and we will continue to do that to the best of our ability. That's something that we've taken great pride in. All members of council take great pride in doing that to the best of our ability, and we will continue that. Thank you. Uh, to everybody that's lined up, thank you for your patience. But just a reminder to clearly and concisely state your question, and we do not uh, need personal opinions. So front uh, microphone, please, and thank you. I have a concise question. Thank you. Um, if we were to increase development charges, what could we do with those funds? Is that directed to both candidates? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Mayor Bennett, would you like to start with this one? Sure. Development charges uh, have been just reviewed recently, and they're uh, at a level that is uh, workable for this community. Those funds are, are, are specified. You can only use them for certain purposes, so growth pays for growth. So they're, they're designed to deal with uh, roads and sewers and, and fixtures that go with subdivision development and or any development that happens in the community. You can't... You can't, uh, uh, schools are handled separately to what, uh, to what development charges are applied to. Uh, you can set some aside for even police work can be, can be attributed to development charges that has to be prescribed ahead of time. And it's all, it's all public knowledge. Roads, police, sewer, water, all, all facets of what growth, growth pays for growth. And that's all that's possible. There's no other. It's prescribed. Thank you. Diane, would you like to weigh in on what could be done with increased development charges? I mean, just to say that when we're talking about about roads, uh, you know, also including in that facilities for active transportation, that sort of thing could be considered. But uh, I think it is, you know, it's true that the development charges are currently at a level that we don't want to push much further on at this time. Yep, sure. Um, yeah, I, I agree with people. Thank you. Developing. Uh, it needs to be sustainable. We're going to move to the back microphone for the next question. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, both of you, thanks very much for all the hours that you both put in at uh, Council. Um, I'd like to ask is, um, uh, I'm not really that up on that being a politician or whatever, but I call it the six and five rule. It seems our council is very rigid. Everything is six against five, and I think that a lot of people are kind of left out, and I'm wondering if both of you are going to carry on with that or maybe, you know, be a little more forgiving. And, and as a mayor, I think, compromise and, and work with all the people, not just what we think is uh, correct being the mayor. Could, could, is there a question in there? 
<laughs> How are you going to resolve the six to five voting issues that have occurred in the city of Peterborough? I think I mean, the the, sorry, the, qu- the question is, is the next council, if, if whoever is mayor, maybe is going to be more compromising? I mean, there's not always a right or wrong, but uh, it seems there's a lot of people who are disappointed over a number of issues, and could we just be a little more, could we work together Our candidates have a great grasp of the question, so we'll let them answer this, uh, starting with Mayor Bennett. Thanks. Sure, I think... I think the Peterborough Examiner did a, a relatively uh, in-depth uh, review of the uh, so-called voting patterns of the City Council, and they came up uh, that on the six to five votes, it's very seldom the same six or the same five that are on either side of it. It's not, it's not the issue that people try to make it out to be. Votes occur at City Council. I've been on the ten to one side of it. Other, other councillors have been on the winning side and losing side anywhere from ten to one down to the six to five range. So, it varies from issue to issue. People bring their own skills and their own ways of, of making decisions. That's what democracy is about, and that's what makes the system work. So going forward, it would be nice if we all voted the same way and everything, but that it will never, ever happen on the big issues. I'm and I think uh, it's also important to note that the vast majority of votes that have happened at City Hall have been unanimous, probably. Uh, there's, you know, those are the ones that you don't hear about. And so there have been these big contentious issues, yes, that have come up, and there's been more of an ideological divide around that. I mean, one of the things that I would like to do if elected would to go back to the Sylvia Sutherland days of having a strategic retreat at the beginning of a council term to find those common priorities between all of the councillors and all the wards. Because, like Daryl said, we're not going to agree on everything. We're never going to get all unanimous votes all the time. But you can at least work towards having common goals and a common things that you want to work towards over that four-year term um, so that things are laid out at the beginning uh, and that at least you have a roadmap that you're working on together. Okay, thank you very much. We'll go back to the uh, front mic and you're returning with uh, another question. Thank you. A surplus of housing supply translates on average to a lower cost of housing. A shortage of housing supply translates to on average a higher cost of housing. As mayor, how will you address the issue of housing affordability? Thank you for your question, and we will lead off with Mayor Bennett. Murray, you've described uh, 101 uh, uh, housing strategy in many, in many, many communities. Uh, you've answered your own question. If you have an ab- abundant supply of houses, the prices are down. If you have a shortage of houses, the prices go up. So. Obviously, you need to have more houses in the mix to uh, to assist with the cost of housing in this community. The cost of housing has risen dramatically in the last number of years. Appropriately, in many ways, the community has found itself from an operational standpoint. We need more houses to come on stream in this community to help us deal with the price of housing and the affordability of housing, and you described precisely how it works. Thank you. So this is pretty much the same as the second question uh, that we were asked earlier about housing affordability. Uh, And certainly we do need more homes. We need more variety of homes. Uh, We know that people are moving here from other places. I meet them at the door all the time. Uh, And that is going to continue driving up prices too. If people don't want to pay $800,000 for a house in Oshawa, they will be okay with paying $600,000 for a house here because it seems like a deal. Uh, And so we do need to be looking at having that inclusionary zoning and making sure that there is a variety of housing types, uh, which I think is the most important thing that we need to do moving forward. Thank you. We'll now direct to the to the back mic. 
from my understanding, the uh, Ontario Municipal Board sets the value for which uh, the city uses to base their tax rate on. Um, and I, I know in the last couple of years, the uh, property values in Peterborough have risen, like I think in some cases more than doubled. Um, and on that basis, taxes for most people are going to rise astronomically if that model continues. And I'm wondering what uh, way the city is going to do to make sure that people aren't taxed out of their houses, basically. Okay, directed at both candidates. And we'll start uh, with you, Dietarian. Uh, so, yeah, MPAC is, is the organization that you're talking about that does the uh, municipal uh, property assessments, and they recently did one within the last year or so. And so you're right. While we've been able to hold tax increases to 3% or less uh, over the last four years, uh, that translates higher when, you're, when, you're, uh, when your house has been reassessed at a higher value. Now that gets phased in. But you're right, it's a tricky thing to do, uh, to be able to sort of match that when you have this housing boom that's going on in our community. And people are at risk of being uh, taxed out of their homes. I mean, one of the solutions that we're hoping for is people taking advantage of the secondary suite bylaw so that seniors that want to stay in their house are able to rent out their basements. Uh, that's something that a lot of people want to take advantage of and that will also hopefully help uh, alleviate some of the pressure that we have on the housing stock in our community. Thank you. It, it is impact actually that does the appraisal on the houses to uh, determine the assessed value of a house in the city of Peterborough and that's been the practice for a number of years. The actual tax rate itself is structured by the needs of the community. The amount of money that is needed by the community then is, is divided by the overall assessed value of the properties within the community. And then you establish through a mill rate the total amount of money that you're going to apply to each of the different sectors within the community. So you've got your residential, you've got your commercial, you got your industrial, so it's all broken down on that basis. The impact side of it does not directly impact tax increases. So if everybody's property in the city of Peter grows up by the same amount of money, your taxes stay virtually the same from an operational standpoint. So that's that's a misnomer as far as your uh, uh, the approach to the actual appraisal side of it or the assessment side of it. So you have to be careful on, on the analysis of it that way. Why are taxes going up in this community and many other? And a lot of those, a lot of the amount of your taxes is spent on items that the council doesn't have direct control over, and that's something that we can enter into debate on at any time. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll now transfer to the mic at the front of the room. Thank you. Floor. So a lot of the problems that we see now in our community are based on a lack of foresight many, many years ago. Um, I don't think we can blame them all on current city council. So what I'd like to know from each of you is how are you going to engage citizens in order to think forward? And I'd like to know from each of you, what is your vision for this municipality 50 years from now? And what are you going to do in the next four years to help us? We'll hold it at one, if you don't mind. Okay, so what is your vision for how you will get to the place you want to be in 50 years? Where do you want to be and how will you get there in the next four years? Okay, Mayor Bennett, you can lead off on this one. Well, the next four years is a very short window to try to do, uh, to try to describe what you want your community to look like long term. But we, we will continue to use our best efforts to make sure that we get the best value for the taxpayers of this community to get the best input from everybody that's that's engaged with the community. It's a very it's a very uh, interesting proposal when you try to decide that you want to meet all the regulatory demands that are placed upon you. 
and then try to figure out how you're, how you're going to get there in the short term, it's got to be long-term planning. You're looking at, looking towards uh, the places to grow, which is going to add about 25,000 people to this community. Our planning processes are sound, and we will get there through those planning processes. We just have to make sure that we do it in conjunction with all the regulations that are being placed on us, which are moving target, I might add. Thank you. Diane, you have the floor. Sure. So in terms of the vision that, that I've talked about uh, a lot is going to feed out from our official plan when it's completed. So building a community that's healthy, that's resilient, that's diverse, that is accommodating to the needs of everybody here, that um, you know considers the need to build not just roads, but incorporating in that our transit system, our car sharing system, uh, active transportation, and all of those types of things, a variety of housing needs, uh, as I've talked about. And in terms of transparency, I've done numerous neighborhood drop-ins over the course of the campaign, and we continue to do that if elected mayor, because as mayor, you should be accessible and accountable to the people that are paying you. But yeah, sorry, sorry, was that my time up? Nope. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, I think having that ongoing dialogue, you know, we have a lot of expertise in our community around these, these different issues. We have expert planners and expert uh, people in, in, you know, preservation, uh, natural preservation and heritage preservation uh, that aren't all working for the city, but we need to have more That's communication with them. Thank you. All right. We're going to transfer back to the, the back mic for your next question. I understand that many housing developments have, are underway as we speak, and tonight you both spoke to the fact that we need to get these developments approved and allow them to go forward as quickly as possible. That's great. Could you please tell me, over the last four years, how many of these current developments you actually voted for during those last four years? Thank you. We'll start off with Terry. Sure. And again, I think that when you're talking about developments, you're referring explicitly just to subdivisions. Because we're talking about developments, that's housing. housing developments, we've voted on many of them over the last... No, no, I mean you specifically and Mr. Dad specifically. How many you voted for housing developments? Versus against. <laughs> well, I, and what I'm saying is by housing developments, are you talking about when we've rezoned on Edinburgh to put that in there? So like, I don't have those numbers off the top of my head. Uh, I voted in favor of the vast majority of uh, adaptive reuse and infill that we need to see in our community. Uh, I did not vote for the Baton White subdivision that got voted down twice by council because it was, uh, I would say, an utterly unimaginative plan. Uh, and the uh, Lily Lake subdivision, I still have concerns about how we're going to deal with the amount of traffic that's coming out onto Lily Lake Road, which is a county road, uh, and there haven't been proper planning to do that. So we need houses there, but we also need to be having holistic transportation solutions when working on the Western Bypass. Thank you. The answer to your question is straight. I voted in favor of all of the completed all of the completed uh, plans that came forward that met all of the uh, necessary standards. So uh, from the subdivision standpoint as well as the infilling standpoint right across the board. I voted in favor of all of them because they were good value for this community. They met the needs of this community and they will continue to meet the needs of the community long term. So you need that mix of housing. The Places a Girl Act uh, has stipulates uh, density requirements and that's already included in the planning that comes forward to us at council in a, in a prescribed form. Thank you. 
we'll go back to the front room. Thank you. Yeah, for, um, for both candidates, um, on issues um, that you form a position on and that you will finally make a vote, um, what groups of people are you going to listen to the most? What are the most credible groups for you? Mayor Bennett, would you like to start with that one? Sure. Are, are we talking about police issues, fire department issues, council issues as it relates to property? What, what I, I, would, I would go on the critical issues. The, the most the most important ones. Then give, give us give us one issue then that you're referring to, Roy. If you would, if you're looking if you're looking at generalities, oh, we, no, we okay. have we have people that take interest in various projects for various reasons. We also look at our own staff to give us guidance on most of the requirements that come forward because they all have a planning process to them, whether it's through the through the building side of it or just through other. Uh, um, even parking requirements in the city of Peterborough, there's a report that's prepared for us to, to follow through on. So we then bring in outside experts on occasion to give us uh, their opinions as to what their best experiences have been and what their educational background dictates to them to make sure that we get the proper advice. Then we, we also listen to the individuals who get involved in various projects for various reasons. So you balance all of that out to make sure you make the right decision for the long-term benefit of the community. Thank you. Diane Terrian, would you like to weigh in, please? Sure. Uh, I, over the course of being on council, uh, my ward mate and I held every year community barbecues to get to know residents and what they were concerned about in their local neighborhoods. When big issues come up that involve, you know, environmental considerations or housing considerations, then we you know, talk to uh, experts in that area. But ultimately, you listen as well to your constituents, the people for whom these decisions are going to impact their day-to-day life, and that. So it needs to be a mix, and you know, there's talk about special interest groups, but to me, any special interest is just a group of concerned citizens who want their voice heard, and that comes in all different forms. And so you need to be respectful of it, and you need to listen to people even when you don't agree with them. Thank you very much. And we will now direct the question to the back of the room. Richard. Thank you. Uh, for the guy that controls the mic and wants to shut me off, there's a call for you outside. <laughs> Don't start. <laughs> Questions only. Uh, but, and uh, am I going to have time to come back for another question? You will, yes. Okay. Keep not... it to one specific and you can ask your second at the next round. Okay. I think I'll keep the first one simple. Can I ask a question before I ask the question? <laughs> okay. No, no problem. No, no problem. Um, running this city is a managerial uh, requirement. It's a big job. I don't know what the question is. That's how many employees have we got. Uh, it's a lot of employees. It's a lot of departments. It's a lot of money. And uh, prior to politics, I don't care who answers first, how many people have you managed in your life? in, in, in a, a business environment where big decisions have to be made and what are your... We can, how many people have you managed yeah, in that's your a good previous career? I think that's a good question. Sure. Uh, I think it's Daryl Bennett's turn to open up. How many? Hey, well, that's a very uh, interesting question. I guess if you're looking at it on an annualized basis, we, uh, having been in business for 50 years, we've had lots of uh, various business activities. I suppose at uh, our high point, uh, Richard, we would have uh, 350 to 400 employees in total. 
and presently I think we're running about 150 employees at our family businesses. City of Peterborough has plus or minus 1,100 FTEs and is a big corporation. It does have it does cover off many multi-facets of activities, which are very, very similar to a lot of other business people in the community as well. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, unlike Daryl, I haven't only worked at one place my whole life. For those of you in the room are are uh, familiar with the millennial hustle, uh, I've worked numerous contracts and made the bills, and that's not an unfamiliar situation for many people in our community. I have management experience. I have experience with budgets. Uh, I've managed over the over the years at the different roles that I've been in, not quite hundreds of people, but certainly dozens and dozens of people in different capacities, uh, as well as leading community consultations and doing all of that. Thank you. Thank you. To the front of the room. Thank you very much again. So in terms of home building and, and residency, uh, I've seen a lot of places in the downtown which are now owned by people who don't live in Peterborough. And I'm wondering what you as mayor would like to do to ensure that people who are absentee landlords are encouraged to have more responsibility within the community. Because now when there's a problem, the city has to wait to find out about it. Yes. Please restate. So what will you as mayor do to ensure that absentee landlords have more pressure on them to act in a responsible way? Okay, Diane, you can open this one. Sure, and I know some of the properties that you're talking about, and it is very frustrating when you have landlords who aren't in the city and aren't dealing with repercussions of having their buildings left vacant and unattended and in in disrepair. Uh, We need to work within the levers that we have provincially as well to be able to, like locally, we can talk to property standards, we can, you know, implement fines through the the fire code. There are some of these landlords who would rather just keep paying the fines and not have to worry about it. Uh, And so, unfortunately, we might have to look at more dramatic actions. There has been talk about trying to purchase some of those properties. Uh, Some of those landlords are unwilling to, to engage in that. Uh, and so it's certainly something that I want to see. There's a couple properties in particular that I think that would be much more beneficial to our community where they where they city owned. That, that's certainly something that I would be pursuing. Thank you. From an operational standpoint, uh, we don't have uh, superiority over uh, people who own properties. We have to work within a certain, a very defined area of concerns from our standpoint. So what we did do in this last term of council is we invoked uh, the changes that were allowed by the province, and that is to increase the taxes to full tax. There was a provision in the old municipal act that allowed uh, a vacant building to sit at a 35% reduction to what the normal tax would be. That has been canceled. That money is now going into the coffers of the city, and it has improved in most cases some people's interest in doing something with their properties, quite frankly, that uh, changes the numbers considerably at the end of the day. Thank you. We go to the rear mic. Richard, you have the floor again. Thank you. You can still leave. There's a call there, buddy. Uh, I deal with uh, developers, investors in this community. I, I deal with people, and there are people in this room who have invested a lot of money in this community. And um, I want to know if you want to make their life easier or uh, harder, if they have to spend more money in getting and investing the money that they want to invest in this community. It's all tied together, one question. 
And um, or the question is, um, I'd like it to leave it to the guys to respond and gals. Um, uh, it's going to make it easier for you for guys that are going to guys and gals are going to spend a hundred million, two hundred million, three hundred million to do business here, or are you going to make it harder uh, for them to do that? Okay, yeah. okay. that's right. a good question. Thank you, uh, Mayor Bennett. I believe you get to leave this one. Well, thank you, Richard. Another uh, good question. Uh, a bit, a bit of an edge on it from an operational standpoint. Uh, we're not going to make it difficult for anybody to want to do business with the city of Peterborough. We have uh, done a pretty good job in the last eight years. We've done an exceptional job in the last eight years of encouraging development. We create the environment for jobs and for for investments to be created. That is a mantra that I've stuck with all my life, actually, and it brought it to city hall with me. When you, when you create a positive atmosphere for people to do business in, and you've created the atmosphere where people will make those investments, they will be glad to spend their money because they get a good return on it from an operational standpoint and they're not impeded by the regulatory authority. We are making inroads on changing that to streamline it to make it even more affordable from an operational standpoint, which trends to benefits for their customers as well, which is the people that are buying the finished product. So thank you for your question. Thank you. Thank you for the question. Uh, I certainly do not want to make it any harder than it is for people to do business here. That's why I've talked about in my policy commitment about having a point of contact staff person to help people walk through that process. I've dealt with and helped uh, businesses over my term on council who have had difficulty getting permits. We are understaffed at City Hall, particularly in our planning department. And that is something that uh, translates into increased frustration at the level that you're talking about. Uh, so having a, a point of contact person who can help walk through that, it shouldn't have to take me as a counselor making a call to get the permit that should have been issued two weeks ago to get to the front of the line. So we also do need to look at putting additional staffing into our planning department uh, to make things uh, flow smoother. Thank you. We'll now take a question from the front of the room. I'm just asking about emergency shelters uh, for the homeless, uh, given that we have not enough shelters to begin with, and now Brock Mission is uh, hitting some kind of uh, problem with its development. Uh, I want to know what you're doing, uh, what you will do, or what you're doing to ensure that we get uh, the emergency shelters that we need, um, in addition to looking ahead. Okay. Capacity that's needed. Okay, Mr. Bennett. Council uh, worked with Peterborough uh, Housing Corporation to assist with the development of the new Brock Mission. It's on the same site as the old one. It's going to have uh, transition housing in it as well as shelter space. So we had uh, we turned it over to Peterborough Housing Corporation. They put it out for tender. <coughs> came back in at a considerably higher amount of money than it should have. The city has moved back in to protect the interests of the taxpayer and the shelter users to make sure that there's value for those people in most in need. So my understanding from staff just this week is that it is back within budget and it is moving forward as quickly as we possibly can. And what is quickly oh, as we possibly can? We need to as let quickly as we possibly can. We need to let Diane weigh in on that first question. Can't ask too, unfortunately. Sure, and we know that uh, when the Brock was operational, it was at an overcapacity, and so continuing to try to work with uh, private developers as well to provide incentives for affordable housing. I know that there's some projects that are being talked about, and again, I can go back to the example that we have at Knox Street United Church, 
which has tur- turned into beautiful apartments that are uh, at market and below market rent uh, for people, which is great. They're doing great work up at the Mount, as you know, as well. So there is creativity and innovation within the city as well outside of just City Hall that we need to be helping to harness and to help flourish. And we did provide some money for the Mount. Um, so I think that those creative solutions are out there and they're being done in other in other jurisdictions. Like we just need to look at other cities to see how they've been tackling this problem. And there are several, particularly in Canada, they're a lot farther ahead than we are. Uh, but we need to work on it. We can't have people dying on our streets in the winter because that's what's happened in Toronto and that's what will happen here if... It is happening here, so we need to we need to prioritize that getting people housed. Thank you. And we'll go to the rear right. Uh, I just wanted to speak to uh, the Places to Grow Act. Uh, it's my understanding that there are twelve thousand subdivision lots earmarked already in the planning stages around the city of Peterborough. I would like to know how many densification units are on the books for the down, for the where the, the province wants us to focus. So in comparison to 12,000, where are we at on the uh, on the downtown core and the densification? Clear Do we have a fact on that? Clear on the questions? That, that one is uh, a good question. It, it's one that uh, we are working through on our official plan. I think both, uh, both of us would agree on the uh, priority that we place on the need for the official plan to come forward and, and determine what we can do in our downtown core as far as intensification. We are working now with the places to grow to ensure that we can meet the standard that they set. They set a standard of 80 houses and jobs per hectare, which was not achievable for this community or even larger communities in this. Those those communities as well have fought back and said we would be more in the 50 to 60 range, and that's what we're looking for here as well. So you take that number in your outlying areas and then transfer that to the downtown. You're looking at about 150, 120 to 150 units in the downtown. That is achievable. And that's what our official plan is going to dictate for us. Thank you. Diane? Yes, uh, meeting the density targets are certainly something that's very important. When the guidelines came forward and the, the staff recommendation was to lower them, I said, well, why don't we aim high? There's no, I asked and was informed that there's no punitive uh, measures taken by the province if you fail to meet those targets. And in 2041, we don't know what government will be in power. And so we so I would rather try to hit those targets and not quite meet them than just have the bar very low and not do anything to try to improve density both within the city core and built up areas and in any new subdivisions that are being going in. Thank you. Back to the front of the room. How will you support the development of compassionate community services, including harm reduction programs to meet the Pacific the specific needs of people experiencing homelessness, social exclusion, and addiction. Right now, the harm reduction program. That was a good question. I think that, that is in the important. washroom at St. John's Church. Would you like to? Yeah, could you restate the question? Because I wanted to. We got into a bit of a backstory there, and I just want to make sure that candidates know. Sorry. How will you support? The development of compassionate community services, including harm reduction programs, to meet the specific needs of people experiencing homelessness, social exclusion, and addiction. Thank you. Uh, Diane, would you like to open on this one? Uh, And so one of the things that I've talked about is uh, 
committing funding for four years for the one city program, which I think is is part of the issue. We need to go to those people that are the frontline service workers that know the issues uh, that they're dealing with more than we are. Uh, as we've heard with regards to the police, and, and I was out on a ride along a couple months ago, and every single call that uh, we went to had to deal with poverty, mental health, addictions, alcohol, drugs, like every single one. And so police officers have become these frontline service workers that they're not properly trained to do, and that was never the intent of, of that job. And so we need to be working with social services and the many, many nonprofits in our community that are doing great work, working with PARN. Again, things around um, you know harm reduction and safe injection sites and those sorts of things uh, are sort of at the whim of provincial government now. And so we need to be trying to at least mitigate some of the damage that's being done and continuing to advocate for a comprehensive detox facility in town. Thank you. And certainly we we have maintained our social service funding in this city. A lot of communities, when the provincial government backed away from uh, their commitment to communities to bringing forward uh, additional benefits, they cut, uh, they cut back to uh, a level that was not acceptable from our standpoint. We raised the bar on that one. We brought it back up to the standard that was at. People would like to see us put more into it but we're back into that redistribution of wealth. And it's so very, very hurtful and very difficult to come to the magic number that balances all that with community. We are advocating for all levels of government to come together with the healthcare side of it, with the educational side of it, with the judicial side of it, and everybody trying to work together to get a handle on this nationwide problem that comes right back to being on the streets of each and every one of our communities. So... It is something we can put a dent in. It is something we can assist with. It's just got to be done very, very carefully. Thank you. We'll go to the back of the room. Um, my question uh, involves something that I, I know that not all of Peterborough has to deal with, um, and that is paying my municipal taxes. I pay very high taxes in Peterborough for very good services in Peterborough. However, every every time that uh, I get a bill, it seems to be up that much more, and we're, can, we're up about 3%. And your question, please? That is okay. However, how are you both proposing to keep my taxes at or below that 3% level because it's already, it already hurts every bill. bill. Okay. Uh, Mayor Bennett, would you like to open this, please? Well, thank you for that one. The uh, tax bill uh, for the last number of years, uh, going back probably 15 years, averages out at about 3.02% in the city of Peterborough, which is well below the provincial average. It's still higher than what I would like to see it, but it is a necessary ingredient to meet the standard of service that's demanded of us. We have broken it down since 2012 to an operational side and to a capital side, about 2% 2% or less on the operational side, about 1% or slightly less on the capital side of it. The capital side of it is the number that we can work with. The projects that are going on now will benefit from some of the new revenues that are going to start coming into the city's coffers over the next year. And once they come in, then we can start looking at what that capital side of it, how we can modify that capital side of it on your average tax bill on an annualized basis. I can run through all the numbers on the actual breakdown of the taxes, but it's a $525 amount that, that's applied to the average assessment in the city of Peterborough is for capital purposes. I can see that number reducing. Thank you. 
And, and this is something that I hear about at the door all the time. People are concerned about, about taxes going up. And uh, as we've talked about, they've been held quite low comparatively. But it's still, when we know that uh, the cost of living, the cost of everything's going up, wages are not going up, uh, that people are feeling that. And seniors are worried about getting priced out of their houses and uh, low-income people can't just can't handle it. So we do need to be looking at how we can try to offset some of those costs. Uh, the incoming revenue was mentioned, which will be helpful to help try to take some of that burden off of the capital budget and be able to complete some of those long overdue projects. And um, everything costs so much more money than you would think you would think anytime we get an RFP come back and it's it's mind-boggling how much money the things cost but I think that we do um, get great value for the money that we pay but we understand that we need to try to keep it low and offset it for for people that are really hurting it and feeling it thank you very much and we will take a question from the front one um, I volunteer at the warming room and there and it's recently in this last year been extended to year-round um, emergency shelter for those that can't be um, housed in other shelters, low barrier as they call it. And uh, there are between 30 and 40 people staying uh, around, around the calendar. That means even this summer. Now, my in in concern about the Brock, I'm not sure how many beds they have present. question from you if you don't. Yes. So, the Brock is temporarily staying in a church which has been sold. Murray Street. No. St. Paul. St. Paul's. Yeah. <clears throat> Your question is? And my question is that they will have to move out of that building long before the new mission is built. So what does that mean to the people that are currently being housed in a temporary site for the Bronx mission? I would think it's at least another That's a good question. We'll pose it to the candidates. Diane, would you like to start? Yeah, uh, thanks for the question. It is one of those issues where, from what I've heard, the deal closes in February or March, and so the height of winter, uh, and we don't want people going out on the street at that time because it will will have people that are dying. We're going to have then also, you know, the increased uh, uh, demand on services, emergency services at the hospital. Uh, that's where a lot of people. That's where a lot of people go. Uh, so we need to be working with partners, um, often in the faith community, to, to try to figure out another temporary solution for where people can can be housed, because it's unacceptable to, to have people out on the street in the middle of March with nowhere to go. So I'd have to follow up with Social Services Division to see what their, their plan is in working with um, the Brock Mission uh, and Peterborough Housing to figure, to figure out a plan. Thank you. Mr. Bennett. Uh, you're supplying information that uh, I wasn't aware of. I spoke directly with the developer, I believe, was closing the property this fall. He had no intention on doing anything with the property over the winter, so I don't see that as being an immediate concern, but I will uh, touch base with him again just to see if his mind has changed on that. We have uh, done some contingency planning work with our staff to make sure that we're not going to, not going to find ourselves with no place to go. Uh, the developer seems to be interested in maintaining that facility for a period of time until he decides what he's going to do with the property. So I don't see the immediate concern, but if you know something I don't know, I'd be pleased for you to, to direct me to who you got that information from. Thank you very much. 
we've got time for the last two questions at the mic, so we'll open it up to uh, the gentleman at the back. You'll both get a turn, and after that, we'll open it up for closing comments. Okay, again, thank you. Thank you, Tom. And uh, again, I'm, I'm 67 years of age. Uh, in the last 45 days, I've worked 37 days nonstop, 12 to 14 hours a day. And uh, why am I doing it? Uh, the stuff I work on is long distance. I know it. I'm getting to the question. Yes, I promise you. And my mission is jobs. And all of the social issues, there are people who need help. and there are, But there are people who don't want to be helped. I'll help anybody that wants to get help and get, get up. Is your mandate to help people to stay down or to help people get up? And is jobs, are jobs a part of that? Okay, Diane, all yours. Looking at me, so I'm guessing that's what uh, you're concerned about. Uh, yes, absolutely, I'm concerned about jobs. I've talked about it a lot. Uh, Peterborough has experienced a significant transformation in its economy. A lot of the a lot of the gentlemen that you see on the street are a product of being laid off the workforce earlier than they you know if they had jobs they thought they would be able to retire at that they got they got laid off earlier than that and it's very difficult to get back in the workforce uh, when you're in your late fifties and you have a certain set of skills that isn't necessarily translatable to the new economy that we're in. Now I understand the new economy. I'm a, I'm a product of it. And I know that that's where job growth is going forward. Like I said, 90% of job growth in, in Peterborough is happening in small and medium-sized businesses, uh, in entrepreneurs, in creative people that are working out of their house. I meet people at the door all the time who are working here for companies based in Durham or based in the GTA. So when we're talking about the economy, we need to think about it holistically because the economy that Peterborough knew 50 years ago is not the economy that we're dealing with today. But we need to get people employed, but we need to make sure that we're doing it in a future-oriented way. Richard, uh, a good question, and thank you for your years of service and hours of work that you put in on a uh, week-by-week basis. People do get a hand up and a hand out in this community, and they both go hand-in-hand on occasion. We certainly have the resources here. We have the opportunity here. What we're lacking now is a skill set balance. We have 4,500 people at any given time who are looking for work. We've got plus or minus 4,500 jobs in this community at any given time, and that's all documented. The opportunities are not balanced. The skills that are needed for the jobs that are out there are not available to the people who are looking for them. So the education side of it's important. For the Skills Trade Center has done an enormous job in helping with that problem. So have some of the industries themselves who have gone into training programs to bring people ahead. So... Helping people to help themselves is very important to all of us, and it's something that I'm a very big, big fan of. Thank you. Thank you very much. The floor will come from the back microphone. Thank you. Uh, unfortunately, extreme weather events are going to be significant part of our future. Uh, I know that's not a municipal responsibility. Um, <clears throat> however, I, I'm just wondering where the city is at in terms of flood controls. We had a whopper in 2004. Many of us probably can remember the flood replacements, the uh, damage, etc. And I just wonder how how ready are we for the next one? Okay, Mayor Bennett. We have been preparing for the last one since the last two, actually, and we have uh, the the big concern is that the the city of Peterborough is in the floodplain. The downtown core is uh, underwater at the best of times. Uh, the Bethune Street project that we've approved and have funded will give us an enormous amount of relief. That's about a $40 million project. 
that has an economic value of about 400 to 500 million of value as it comes to storm relief projects. We have diligently gone at, after the 2004 uh, storm, we had a major study that was done. We picked off all of the low-hanging fruit. There were, I forget the actual number, but I think it was 15 or $18 million of the projects that translated to $180 million worth of savings if there's another storm of that nature coming forward. So we've done what we could do up to the point that we have. The big one will be the Bethune Street Corridor, then we'll start making working on the next one, which is another project for the downtown, which is going to give us further relief for properties down south of the downtown as well. Okay, thank you. It is a big a big task, and we know that as as, uh, as Daryl has said, the Bethune Street project alone is suffers of $40 million, and you know the bulk of that is having to dig up an entire street and put new piping in, and that's going to have to happen more often. We have a lot of aging infrastructure uh, but it's cheaper to do it than to not do it and deal with those consequences. Uh, when we're talking about, you know, flood flood reduction, um, we need to, and I say in my policy commitments, broaden and streamline the flood reduction subsidy program to meet, to reach more residences and small business. And when we're talking about new developments, uh, particularly with subdivisions, we need to be looking at low-impact development so that we're helping to deal with um, stormwater when it's coming in and not having trying to figure out how to deal with it after the events already happened. So we need to be making that a reality. That is the way forward. If you want to save money in the long term, you need to be putting in low-impact development to help reduce the pressure on the stormwater management system. Thank you very much. That concludes our open floor questions. Um, we're going to reverse the order from our opening statements, and each candidate will now have two minutes to uh, close out our meeting. Uh, Mayor Bennett, would you like to start us off, please? I will stand up if I may. <laughs> Thank you for that. I got everybody's attention. <laughs> it's been a long evening. And I appreciate everybody's time. We started off uh, thanking our hosts this evening for uh, their work in bringing us all together and thanking the people who have taken time to uh, attend. Lots of good questions tonight, lots of good information. We have a lot of things that we deal with in the city of Peterborough on a day-by-day basis. There's a lot of things that we have done in the city of Peterborough and a lot of things that we will continue to do. Look around what's happened in this community over the last eight years. There has been an enormous amount of changes, positive changes that have been made to this city, stuff that is going to help us develop the future use of these premises that we have built together. We will continue to build together. The 3,500 houses that have been approved in the city of Peterborough are great stock for us to work with long term. It will give us an enormous amount of economic value from a building standpoint, from an hours of operation standpoint, for the people that are involved in the whole building industry. We built sports fields. We built new affordable housings in this community. We built roads, Lansdowne Street, Ashburnham, Park Hill, Braley. Any number of those projects cost a lot of money. We need to continue to balance out the cause and effect of each and every decision that we make. Yes, there are things that we are unable to attend to as quickly as people would like us to, but we try. We have the skills, we have the abilities, we have the will to make life better for as many people as we possibly can without overburdening our tax base. I'm a great proponent of helping people who want and need our assistance, and we will do that to the best of our ability for as long as we can. I am committed to making sure that this community 
comes closer to its potential with each and every decision that we make and we will do that without putting undue pressure on our taxpayers. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you. Thank you. And I would echo that. Thank you to everybody for coming out and spending a couple of hours with us here at the Lions Club. It's been great. I appreciate all of the questions. Uh, I have learned a lot and certainly, uh, and certainly look forward to continuing these conversations at the upcoming debates. We have accomplished a lot over the last term on council that I've sat on council, but what I'm also concerned about is what we're going to accomplish moving forward. And so my vision for this community is a long-term, is a long-term vision. We need to be thinking, as I said, about every decision that we make and how it's going to impact things, not just four years down the line, not 10 years, 50 years down the line, because things are changing so rapidly. We see that in the economy. We see that uh, in terms of how our city is growing. We see that with issues around the climate. So we know that we need to be prepared to to react to those changes, but we also want to be able to be proactive in dealing with those things now, which is why when I talk about low-income development and when I talk about inclusionary zoning, these are things that we need to be thinking about now so that our community is better prepared for the challenges that we're going to face going forward. We know we're going to continue to have population demands here. People are coming here from, from Durham and the GTA where, it, where it's much more expensive. So we need to be planning for our road network. We need to be planning for our transit system. We need to be adapting and evolving to new ways of getting around, uh, getting around town. We need to be ensuring that we're building complete communities with complete streets, uh, so that people don't have to drive five minutes to get a bag of milk and kids don't have to cross dangerous streets to go to school. So we want to build a city that works for everyone. Certainly being responsible with taxpayer money is the responsibility of all public officials. Um, but when we talk about people as just taxpayers, that doesn't do us justice because we're residents of this community and our children don't pay taxes. They're not taxpayers, but they are the ones that are going to be inheriting this community from us. So we need to be diligent in how we're preparing and planning this community, not just for those of us that are paying taxes in it now, but for those little ones that are going to be living with the decisions that we're making today. Thank you. Thank you.